So as Chuck just uh, prayed um, or spoke to uh, that, um, I don't know about you, uh, just that prayer at times doesn't come easily. And uh, if you, in case you weren't here last week, I spent a ton of time uh, in the book of Colossians. And uh, so on my time in sab- on sabbatical, I uh, spent time in the book of Colossians. And so as a way of recounting what God did through my sabbatical time, uh, I want to look thematically at the book of Colossians. Last week, we looked at the idea of the Word of God. Scripture, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, and, but this week, I want to look at prayer, and specifically the idea of being watchful in prayer And if anything is kind of of the most profound variety in terms of uh, what what God did uh, in me and in my sabbatical, this is it. Uh, It is in this area. And so if you are a fellow struggler in prayer, be encouraged because God's word is for us, not for you for us. If you are someone who dwells in prayer, praise God as he is able to meet you there. So we're going to look at the beginning of Colossians 1, and then we're going to jump to chapter 4 and look at the thematic elements of prayer in the book of Colossians. Would you stand with me? This is God's word. We long to hear from him, uh, and uh, he is speaking to us. And so in Colossians 1, starting in verse 3, he's speaking to these people. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, and he's thanking God because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Jump down to verse 9 as he continues. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does that look like? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Then jump down to chapter 4, verse 2. This is his instruction to this church continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then another friend of his, Epaphras, this is his, his prayer life for these people. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak. Uh, God, by your spirit, would you make your word alive? Would you speak with power to us? Father, if you need to draw us and wake us up, that scales would fall from from our eyes and that you would give us ears to hear, take out a heart of stone. Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know you by faith. Father, would today be the day of salvation? Father, for those of us 
who claim Christ by faith as our Savior, God, what would it look like for us to be a church that lives out that dependency, that beautiful sense where we live in your power and not our own? God, I pray that you would create that in us, that you would move by your Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Just FYI, I brought Kleenex, so um, just be forewarned if, that, if emotion scares you. Uh, anyway, um, do you struggle to be consistent in prayer? I do. Do you sometimes wonder if prayer really even matters? I do. Do you find yourself not praying for something because in your heart you know God's going to do his thing anyways? I do. And even with all those conflicting thoughts, do you find yourself wishing that you could truly be a person of prayer? I do. Do you think that if you weren't so busy, you would be more consistent in prayer? I don't. (laughs) I don't think more time solves any part of our lack of prayer. Think about your time on vacation. It's as if prayer probably evaporates and you have all the time in the world. I don't think more time is the issue with a lack of prayer among God's people. So the book, uh, A Praying Life, uh, that's been a part of my sabbatical time. Many of you have read it. This is probably the third time I've gone through it. Uh, And in those seminars that they host, which we're hoping to host one in late January, put that on your calendar when it comes out, that in their seminars, these are people in God's, God's church, Bible-believing churches who want to learn how to pray and be prayerful, they found that 85% of people in those seminars very irregularly pray. Isn't that interesting? Like, among God's people, uh, prayer seems to go to the back seat. I think we want to tell ourselves that the problem is busyness or a lack of discipline. But when it comes down to it, we don't pray because we really don't believe. We don't believe that we absolutely need God to sustain our lives. We don't believe that he is at work responding to our prayers. We don't believe that we lack the the control of our lives that we think we have. And these are things that I knew before my sabbatical, but yet knowing something intellectually is no comparison with knowing something as God allows you to experience it in your life. So when planning my sabbatical, I said, I want to focus on prayer. That was one aspect of that. And I found myself in in that place where theologically I believed in prayer, but functionally I lived as if I didn't need to pray. Can you relate? I would pray when it made sense to pray or when it was expected to pray, but I didn't live by prayer. So in the beginning of month three of my sabbatical, my prayer cohort began. Basically, eight pastors from around the country jump on a Zoom call together and learn how to pray all over again. And that was the turning point of my sabbaticals. Last week, remember, month one was COVID, month two was frustration. 
Month three, God starts to move. And so what, I, what, uh, what God has uh, kind of showed uh, again is the, the, the idea of prayer, that prayer is constant and continual. So if prayer occurs only in the times when it is expected, times like mealtimes, bedtime, church meetings, your small group, you know, the times when it's expected, if that's the only time that prayer occurs in your life, uh, I want to encourage you that God intends so much more for you and for me. Because in this book of Colossians, uh, Paul speaks to the frequency of prayer, that constancy and continual. Here's a couple phrases uh, that kind of come out. So chapter 1, verse 9, we read it, that you know, when he heard of their faith, he has not ceased to pray for you, uh, uh, speaking to the people uh, in Colossae. Then down in chapter 4, verse 2, which we, we uh, read earlier, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then Epaphras, later in verse 12 of chapter 4, that he is always struggling on your behalf, these people, in his prayers. So that idea of Paul just not ceasing, that sounds fairly continual to me. And then I'm like, huh, where does my prayer life stack, uh, stack up? Look, then Epaphras, that idea of struggling it comes from the Greek word where we get our English word agony. It's to fight. It's to strive. It's to struggle. And so one translation actually uses the word wrestling in prayer. And so there's Epaphras fighting for these people in his prayers. That's not necessarily how we think through prayer, but that's the heart of uh, Epaphras for these people. That, you know, that is definitely not just throwing up a quick request and being done with it and moving on with your day. This is Epaphras fighting for these people in his prayers, always struggling. Continue steadfastly. It's actually one word in the Greek, uh, but we don't have one word in English that gets all the nuances, so most translations pick two words. Uh, the ESV picked continue steadfastly it's basically a word that is speaking to a a a persistent almost even obstinate pursuit of something to be devoted to something or to persevere in it so it's not just pursue something but it's pursue obstinately if you can use that as a positive word Okay, to steadfastly go after something like a dogged determination to pursue a course of action. Does that define and describe your prayers? I found myself falling way short of that. This is far more than times of expected prayer. This is the air that Paul breathes. This is the air that, that Epaphras breathes. They live on prayer. Insert, insert Bon Jovi song here. Uh, and so, sorry, why is prayer life to them? Why does Paul's very existence seem to hinge on prayer? Is because Paul knows that he can do nothing without his heavenly father. Just like Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's a pep talk. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. 
and we react against that verse like, like it's the plague. We live as if that's not true, but that's the greatest news that I could tell you today. Why does Paul live as if this is very life? I don't have, I don't have these verses on the screen, but uh, flip over to Colossians 1, 17 and 18, okay? So uh, Paul is talking about Jesus, that he's the one who creates all things. Everything that is in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, is made from him and by him. The next two verses are incredible. Verse 17, he is before all things, meaning like he precedes all things, and in him all things hold together. He didn't just create, he is holding it and sustaining it. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. And this is where verse numbers really mess things up. They're not inspired. Some dude a couple centuries ago put them in, a, in, in the Bible so we could find things. The fact that verse 18 is split is tragic. Because the middle of verse 18 is, is, is the point of what Paul is talking about. God, Jesus is not just creator, not simply sustainer. He uses the word, he is the beginning. That's a creation word. In the beginning, God created But he is the beginning. What's the next phrase? The firstborn from the dead. Wait a minute. So he creates. He's the beginning of creation. But where does the new beginning of real life flow? It's from the power of the resurrection. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. First leading the charge, nothing supersedes him. So think about that, that it's not just we find life because God made things. Why does the apostle Paul live that in, in the air he breathes his prayer? Is because he knows he can do nothing, and in Jesus is the power of the resurrection. The things that are broken are restored. Things that are dead find life. He is the beginning. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, said we pray. Actually, he didn't say that. It was another article uh, on a praying church. He says we pray because we are weak. Because weakness is the launch pad for resurrection power. If you have life figured out, you don't need Jesus. And you certainly don't need the resurrection because you're doing just fine on your own. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. That, the Ameri- that, that our country has bought. Sadly, God's people in America have bought. And we live as anemic people of faith. Prayer is simply the way we connect with and enjoy God and interact and engage with who he is in his story. So for most of us, we tend to think of prayer as a way of asking God to work in our lives. 100% that's, part, that's prayer. You know, and that fits God, what God says, that we should ask, that we should let our requests be made known to God. But yet, what happens when prayer gets reduced to only, putting that in quotes, only a list of requests or things that we need? If prayer gets reduced only to that, what happens? Well, If that's our assessment of God's active hand, well, then that simply becomes a yes or no. 
God's active in this scenario or he is not. He moved or he didn't. Okay, uh, maybe you, you have a couple extra categories like wait or maybe, um, you know, uh, but, but still it's, it's request, answer. And I, and I think when we start to think about prayer merely as that, we have flattened God's rule of all things and his work and his gracious hand at work in this world. We mistakenly simplify God's work into categories that we've created Let's do an example, okay? You might start to pray that God would help you get an A in your class, okay? Maybe it's a distant memory of school, but it works, right? Uh, God, help me get an A in my class. You pray that request at the start of the class uh, or even a few times along the way through the semester, and at the end of the semester, you see if God answered your prayer. Well, that type of prayer is not very engaging, if you really think about it. It waits till the end to see if God answered or not. It's also very simplistic, reducing God down to the outcome of a single event. Let me submit to you that that, though requests and answers are part of praying, it is woefully incomplete. And I wonder if when we start to frame it that way, that's why prayer just doesn't seem to make sense to many people in the church. And I want to encourage you to pray with your eyes open. (laughs) It's the title of a book by uh, Richard Pratt. But this might be the summary of what God did in my sabbatical. Because God gave me a different picture of prayer, one that matches his heart and not how I have framed it for much of my Christian life. Continue steadfastly, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there's that steadfastly part, you know, to continue, to constantly and continually be in prayer. But how does Paul describe how they should pray? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in prayer, that's kind of an interesting phrase. Would that define your prayer life? I would submit to you, most likely not. But the beautiful nature of that word is that it's to be awake and to be alert. To eyes wide open to what's happening, watching for God at work. And think how different that is from waiting for the final answer to a a request. So the request, God, help me get an A in my class. The answer-only version of prayer? Well, you wait to the end of the semester and see what happens. Let me submit to you a whole different idea of what prayer looks like in the life of a believer. What does watchful prayer look like? Same request. God, help me get an A in my class. Same request, but notice the difference. Watchful prayer knows that God loves to hear our prayers, expressing our needs to him and and his work in our lives Watchful prayer faithfully knows that. Watchful prayer notices how God works in small incremental steps, the little things. Watchful prayer recognizes when the teacher has noticed your increased desire to excel and seems even more eager to help you along the way. Watchful prayer notices that. Watchful prayer recognizes how God provides a friend to study with who happens to be a natural-born tutor. And, uh, you know, this friend helps you understand the concepts that you're struggling to comprehend. 
Watchful prayer watches as God allows you to fail an important quiz halfway through the semester. And you sit there wonder, God, I thought you were going to help me get an A. And yet you notice that it's the failed quiz that causes you to look intently at your own heart and see that your efforts don't really match the effort needed to get an A in the class. And as you look intently, you notice a bit of laziness in your studies. And so the prayer of God to help you get an A, along with the failed quiz that God allows to come into your life, it exposes our own shortcomings. And that causes us to see ourselves rightly, bringing us into repentance before our God and then his healing and his restoration of those things. Not just helping us get an A, but drawing us near to him as you pursue that A. Watchful prayer sees God's mercy play out when the teacher gives you an extension on the homework assignment that you forgot to turn in. Watchful prayer is alert to the fact that you were retaining information really well in this class, surprisingly, and when you study for tests, it's actually sticking when, when you study. And on the final exam, you see God who allows all of what you've learned to come flooding back into your mind so that you do really well on the exam. And then you look at your final grade, and there's an A. But God is working so much more profoundly than a grade at the end of the class. So the request-answer-only version of prayer misses an entire semester of God's handiwork. Watchful prayer observes God weaving a story that our little God helped me get an A couldn't even imagine what God has in store. It was only one request But notice all the ways that God is actively engaged in bringing it about. Now, I'm not saying he always delivers an A at the end of the the class. But it is our prayers and then watching God at work in our prayers that we start to engage in God's story in a way unlike the request-answer-only version. With me? So my sabbatical focus on prayer... uh, Uh, So like I told you last week, month two was frustration. So we got over COVID, and I just could never hit a rhythm of rest and renewal. It was, man, it was just so frustrating. Uh, And uh, so my, but my prayer cohort, you know, that group of eight pastors or so, uh, started the beginning of month three of my time away. And one of the first things we did was that we started with five prayer cards. And hopefully you received a couple index cards on the way in. If you didn't, uh, make sure you grab one on the way out or maybe use your bulletin as the scratch paper. We started with five prayer cards where you just put a title, a verse of scripture, a question, a couple bullet points. And you just begin to trust God and pray over these things. Enter a watchful prayer story over a specific item. Seems pretty basic for a bunch of pastors, right? But full, full disclosure, I needed training wheels. So by the fourth week, though, my cards and my prayers were not particularly life-giving. You, even in this, you know, they weren't connecting my heart to God's heart, and this, coupled with the larger context of my sabbatical, not amounting to what I had hoped for, There I was before the fourth week of my prayer cohort, frustrated, and I sat down, and the cohort calls at 11 a.m. 
sat down at 10 at the table. We were actually at the lake up in Lake Wiley, beautiful place. And uh, so I scratched out a few new cards right away, almost out of frustration. And because I had so much going on, I threw them in my notes and kind of forgot about them. And that cohort call was the beginning of God wrapping up all of these seemingly disconnected events in my sabbatical, all of this frustration, all of COVID. And God began at that very call to make this sabbatical something that I come back to you, not the same person. God was, or that call was absolutely life-giving as we talked about the, the unique nature of what it would look like for a church to be a praying church. Think about most churches you've been involved with and I've grown up in. I wouldn't depict them as praying churches. And so this conversation just invigorated this series of in, just incredibly rich conversations with Linda about prayer in the church. God was on the move. And then we headed off to the movies. And that sounds like an odd thing to do. Uh, on, uh, you're, you're at Lake Wiley, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful house on the lake. Uh, you know, why would we leave paradise to go watch a movie? Well, it was overcast. And uh, it was overcast, and it was forecasted to be overcast the entire rest of the day. We're like, oh, that doesn't sound like too much fun. Linda's like, let's go to the movies. I'm like, I'm not sure that sounds like a great idea. I looked it up. Uh, the movie that she... Uh, suggested we go see was the one that multiple other people have mentioned, Show Me the Father. And I looked it up, and uh, there was a showing that afternoon, and it was the last showing of the movie for, uh, in a theater for a radius of 200 miles. That was the last day it was showing, and it was the only showing of the day. And so we were going to go to the movie. So as we pulled out of the driveway, the sun breaks through the clouds. Are you kidding me? And so it was absolutely perfect. And we're going to the movies. Do you still go or do you just stay and enjoy the lake? And we decided to press on with the movie. And I doubted our decision the entire drive there. Uh, But that movie... So the call at 11, that movie at 1.30, proved to be one of the most edifying things I've watched in years. It depicted the heart of God. The heart of God the Father who loves me as his son. This is even the emotional part. Come on. All right. And, and, and that idea of God the Father tied perfectly with the idea of the prayer cohort. Because what, what is learning to pray is learning to engage with God the Father to bring your, your requests, your needs, your heart, your, your fears. Just bring yourself before your loving and faithful and good Father. And so this movie just depicted the heart of God like when it comes out just make sure you watch it that afternoon God gave me uh, as we kind of I'll skip down just that, that entire night was devoted. There was other things that happened where God gave clarity and even in the book of Colossians God was doing his work 
And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, this sabbatical actually might become more than rest after all. There might be a point. Fast forward to the next week of my prayer cohort. So we were at the lake the following Thursday. And the opening question of the phone call is, hey, how is prayer going? It's a pretty innocuous question. You know, oh, I'm sucking wind. Oh, man, this isn't working for me. Oh, we're seeing God show up here. And I pull out all of my notes. Remember, I scratched out a few cards. I pulled them out. I read it, and I found one of the cards that I'd written. And I just sat back and looked up in awe. Tears. <laughs> Flooding into my eyes. Because at 10 o'clock, I frustratedly scratched this card out. At 11 o'clock, God went to work. And this was the question, sabbatical. How does this time become worthwhile? And I had nothing else to pray other than that question. And I had, forget, I, I had forgotten I even wrote it. I had forgotten I even prayed it. And God, in his goodness, as a loving father, starts to enter in and answer prayer answer a question in ways that I couldn't even fathom, in ways that I had even forgotten I asked for, a loving father at work profoundly and powerfully continues steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When we see God and his work, we're drawn into thanksgiving, and even more powerfully, we're drawn into worship. Because feeling the smile of God the Father on me as his son. So I was up in our guest room. And I could just sense God's smile over me. But it took eyes to start to watch for God and his goodness. I actually thought of my earthly dad and the smile that he got when he gave that per a perfect gift. He was an amazing gift giver. And he would sit over there as you enjoyed it with this grin on his face of pure delight. And as I sat there, I could kind of with my mind's eye picture God the Father in his joy to give good gifts to his children. So I sat there in our guest room, overwhelmed by God's gracious hand, overwhelmed by his patience with me, overwhelmed by a glimpse of his glory, but if, you're, if you aren't watching, man, you'll miss most of what he's doing. If I didn't go back and find the card, I never would have known that I prayed it. Never would have remembered it. And when we see God's hand, and we'll just kind of end with this and pick up more next week, that prayer becomes filled with thanksgiving. Because watchfulness leads to thankfulness. Because gratitude recognizes the hand of God in your life. He recognizes an amazing uh, cohort call. He recognizes a movie 
and an overcast day that got you there to find the last showing within 200 miles. Without watchfulness, Thanksgiving doesn't flow very easily. Why? Because you think you earned something, you orchestrated it, or you simply just made it happen. God didn't need to show up because you had it covered. You miss that every aspect of your life is a gift from God's hand. And I think I have a master's course in missing God's goodness. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When you get to see it, you're like, wow, God, you are good. You know, Paul is praying earlier in the book, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He's thanking God for these people. And we'll pick up the theme more, obviously, on Thanksgiving, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, because thankfulness is all throughout the book of Colossians. And so if you don't know uh, how to pray or have a difficult time praying, start right here. Start with Thanksgiving. Simply think about the past week. Be watchful. And thank God for the things that you see him doing and, or that things that he's brought into your life. Big things, subtle moves, a change of heart in yourself or somebody around you. The things that you take for granted or maybe even your very life. The list could go on and on and on. But all it takes is us to be open, prayerfully watchful. And that will lead us to thank God and draw us into worship. And so those index cards, we're going to skip the next part, those index cards there, I want to encourage you to start a prayer card. If, if you are, if you're, you got your prayer system and it's working, stick with it. If you're like the 85% and prayer is kind of clunky and uh, you would definitely not call it constant and continual, start a prayer card. I'm going to encourage you not to start a prayer list because you'll become overwhelmed with it and stop. Start a prayer card. Pray about one thing. Here's one on my personal prayer life. Start it with a couple verses of scripture that depict what you desire. You don't have to have good handwriting to pray well, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, Colossians 1.9, we have not ceased to pray for you. Colossians 4.2, there's that continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then for me, what did I write under there? My bullet points, things that, that God really does respond and God hears. That that's, a, that's something I need to pray about. What is it to be consistent and regular in my prayers? The next one, O ye of little faith, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But the translation is my little faith ones. He's not crushing us in shame. It's Keith, trust me. Trust me. And then God's presence in my life and in my challenges. What does it look like for us to actually enter in to prayer? Start a prayer card, one topic, a verse or two, or maybe a question like my sabbatical card. How will this time become worthwhile? And pick it up and spend 30 seconds on it. Don't pray for 30 minutes. Pick it up and pray for 30 seconds. Pick it up tomorrow and pray for another 10 seconds. And just see what God will do. God is a good father. And he loves to hear his kids pour out their hearts to him. Are you willing to follow him into that? To be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving.
Let's pray. God, uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your gracious hand. Father, I pray that you would stir in us, stir in us uh, to be people of prayer. God, convince us that we don't have the control we think. Father, free us from that sense that our performance defines reality, that our, our ability and our strength and what is what gonna, is going to determine our course. God, free us from that and give us real joy because you are the one that holds all things together. You are the resurrection. You're the beginning of new life. Father, I pray that we would be a people, uh, a people that know you, but then also a people who live as we truly are, dependent upon you and your power. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.